Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Roll the Quadcast, a Blogger So Dear podcast where little old Charlie Brown is still trying to kick that football. Blogger So Dear is the go-to website for the best independent analysis of Wake Forest athletics. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Roll the Quadcast. My name is Riley Johnston and I am joined here by Bart Johnston up in Boston. And we are very, very happy to be with you today on this Thursday night. Uh, obviously, Wake Forest got a pretty big victory last night over the Louisville Cardinals. Um, just a couple of, uh, I guess, house cleaning items first. We are going live here, so if you want to call in, then we would love to take your call at any point. The guest line number is 818-369-0317. If you call in, you want to hold a little bit, then I'll uh, you'll pop up on my screen here, and I'll try and figure it out. Um, this is our first time taking live calls, presumably, so if there are some issues, bear with us, and we'll try to get through them. Uh, but let's, uh, first of all, go over to Bart. Uh, how are you doing today, Bart? Doing well. Doing much better after uh, the game last night than uh, I have in my Wake Forest fanhood in quite some time, so go deep. Yeah, well, last night was uh, quite the time, and I think I finally – I did manage to get on the court, so I uh, got, got a little sweaty there with everybody else, but uh, that's fun. Hadn't done that in a few years, so it's a pretty exciting time. How was uh, – how'd the game come across on your end last night? Came across well on TV. Um, I started this new thing during the Pittsburgh game of uh, trying to be optimistic during the game, even when we're down. Normally I would uh, <laughs> call myself a realist. Uh, people call me pessimistic, but that's okay. Um, but the whole, this whole optimism thing is uh, working out so far so good. We've gotten down. I've been confident, and we've come back. So uh, I'll, I won't claim any success for us uh, or any future success, but it certainly helps my uh, my watching the game. Right. I guess that's uh, probably a good time to point out that fans uh, away from the arena usually don't have an impact on the game. But, uh, hey, whatever works, and if we keep winning, then, uh, then go for it. So I'm glad that worked out for us. Um, I'm, I'm not let's go ahead and, uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and kind of jump into a discussion of last night's game. Uh, Wake Forest actually got the big victory despite going down, I believe it was 31 or 32 to 18 early on, uh, managed to come back for the 88 to 81 victory. What was the biggest difference in the early game? And when we came back, what do you think really changed the game in Wake Forest's favor? You know, I think coming out against Louisville um, with their press, that we were a little bit uh, timid early on. It's not necessarily that we were turning the ball over a ton, although I think we did have uh, four early turnovers and and still ended up in only single digits. But I think once we got into the game and got into our offense a little bit more and a couple shots started following, we got a little bit better about attacking their aggressive defense. And, you know, I, I think that the run in the middle of the first half was largely due to spreading the floor, uh, getting our top 10 offense into some good sets, finding Collins for some paint touches down low. And uh, even when we missed some shots, boxing out, you know, I, I remember a couple of times specifically that Dean, though, glue was inside and he did a great job getting, uh, getting his man off the block and was there to put back misses. So when we were down 32, 18, uh, we started get some, getting some buckets falling, and then we kept the momentum going by not having too many empty possessions in there. And then in the second half, we just did what we've been successful doing throughout the season, which was kind of trying to enforce our pace a little bit more rather than the slower pace 
that Louisville was kind of used to uh, forcing teams to take longer on offense with their press. Uh, and we were just able to knock down open shots that we weren't necessarily knocking down in the first half. And, again, John Collins was, was just an absolute beast inside. Uh, what, what did you see from, uh, from the Joel last night that might not have come across on TV, or what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Louisville is always a, an interesting team to play against because of their style of play. They've got a, a, almost a seemingly infinite amount of players that they just run in and out that are 6'8 to 6'11. Um, they've got a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, a lot of uh, in-your-face tenacious defense. They, they like pushing 90 feet, and they did that for most of the night. So I, I figured it would take a few possessions for us to kind of settle down against the press. And, and like you said, we did turn it over a fair amount early, and Louisville converted. So while we got down big, you know, 10, 12 points, I didn't feel awful about it. Louisville was making shots that we weren't contesting. They were getting run outs. They were getting good looks. Um, I thought Danny Manning did a, a very, very good job, once again, of handling John Collins when he picked up the early foul on a call that probably should have gone against Dinos Mittaglou instead of Collins. It was kind of an interesting play. Um, it was on the other side of the court for me, but I think Dinos probably got him there. But he, he gave Doral a few minutes and then got um, – our other big guy in their SJM. So he, he was probably one of the MVPs, even though the stat sheet won't show it. He did a great job of stepping in, playing good defense, getting stops. And it, we really played man-to-man defense the best that I've seen to play all year. And that sounds kind of strange because they scored 81 points. But the job that Brandon Childress did on Donovan Mitchell is, it was just outstanding. And I, I don't know how that came across – on TV, but he locked him down. And, and the size differential, I think Mitchell's 6'3", maybe a generous 6'3", but, but Chill, Chill is a generous, probably six feet tall, 5'11", because I don't think there's any way he's that tall when you see him on the court. Yeah. But he did a fantastic job of locking down Mitchell. Mitchell did have some open shots in the second half but he, that he failed to hit. But, I mean, I think he only took one two-point shot and then missed the other went one for eight on three. So that's when, for a guy of his caliber to have seven points, that you're going to win a lot of games like that. So I thought the defense, man-to-man, pick-and-roll, it was really outstanding. I think that's a testament to what Coach Manning and the staff uh, have been working on all year. And that, that doesn't even get started on John Collins, who was once again an amazing force inside. 25 points, 11 rebounds, 11 of 12 from the free throw line. That, that just gets the job done. Who, who do you think – other than John Collins, who would you say was the, the second guy that stepped up? Because I've got my, my my thoughts on somebody. But, you know, who else stepped up in your mind? Um, I, I'd say there were two people that I'd want to know. First, I guess the stat sheet was, uh, a, you know, that comes across a little bit better on the stat sheet, was Keyshawn Woods. He, there, I thought, and I think I might have even sent a couple texts to this effect during the game, I thought that uh, the turnover early that he committed was kind of sloppy, and I didn't think he was playing great defense early on. But his offense was keeping within the game, and as the game progressed, it seemed like he got a little bit more confident out there. He was he started playing better on defense. Really, he was doing a good job getting down the lane, and he, he hit, I believe, two threes in the first 10 to 12 minutes of the game where we were having trouble getting things going, or there were a little there were a couple quirky lineups out there when Collins was off the floor, and there weren't a lot of good offensive options, and Woods just took it upon himself to – to step back and take a three. And, you know, those are shots that you might look back on and say, well, you know, if he had missed that, that, that hurts because it was a shot out of the rhythm of the offense. But I'm also not so sure that there was much rhythm in the offense for those times anyway. 
And for him to step back and take that those threes and knock them down was massive. It kept us in touch with Louisville, but it ultimately allowed us to get back into the game in the final ten minutes of the first half. And the second guy, I think, and this guy might not come across as much on the score sheet, was Dinos Mediglou. I think Mediglou had one of his better games this season. He's gotten taken a lot of grief for not knocking down threes as consistently as he, as he had in not only the offseason, not only the nine conference season this year, but also over the first two years he was a Demon Deacon. Um, and, but he really did a good job getting on the glass, getting some rebounds, like I mentioned earlier, and he hit down some key shots. That three he knocked down at the stretch it back out to a six-point game, I think, 78-72, around two minutes left. I mean, that was a, you know, I think Mitch might have been overshadowed by Mitch's backbreaker from a pair out in Greensboro out there to make it a nine-point game. But uh, Dinos' three to make it a six-point game was one of the shots that we've missed repeatedly this year in close games. And, you know, I, I came up off the couch for that one because that was a big-time shot. i I, I got to get props to Dinos for that. Yeah, the the leverage viewpoint on that shot was huge. I, it was seventy, I believe, seventy five to seventy two um, when he took that shot. And after those two threes, Wake Forest went from a let's see here, sixty eight percent chance to win. After he hit that three, we went up to about ninety two percent. And then when Mitch hit the three to get to nine, it was about ninety eight or ninety seven percent. Which those are the shots that we've just missed consistently over the last seemingly few years and, and we finally got we finally hit him when we needed to so so we came away with the win last night uh wake forest obviously needed that and we we now sit either depending on where you look just outside the bubble or just inside the bubble on a lot of the updated brackets we're 17 and 12 8 and 9 in the conference which leads us to our uh season finale at Virginia Tech, who has been on a tear as of late, they've won five out of their last six games, and that is despite losing uh, sophomore Chris Clark, one of their big guys for the year with an ACL injury. Um, that's going to be a tough game, and Virginia Tech is likely, I think, the most popular seed they can get is maybe the five seed. I guess they could fall back to the seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, that's that's a big game on Saturday. If, if we can win that and get to nine to nine in the conference, then you have to think that our bid is all but locked up assuming we take care of business against Boston College. What do you see going into that game uh, against Virginia Tech at 430 in Blacksburg on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think the importance of the game, it would be difficult to overstate. And that's not to say that if we lose the season's over. It's not. It's, it's a, road win, a road game in the conference, which is always difficult. As Louisville saw last night, you know, anything can happen. Um, I think, and, you know, this may jinx us, but back to your earlier statement, the fans don't impact games. I think that this is a good matchup for Wake Forest. Um, I, I think that they are going to have trouble, just like everybody else has this year, with stopping John Collins. If you're looking at their numbers and their weaknesses specifically, they're not a very good rebounding team on either side. They're terrible at offensive rebounds. They're uh, ranked 325th in the nation in percentage of possessions where they get an offensive rebound. And looking at the height of players on their team, and I've had the opportunity to watch them play a good bit, um, they just don't really have that much inside presence. You know, Zach Lede at 6'7 gets a lot of minutes, and I imagine that he'll be bouncing around with Collins. But uh, other than that, they've got a guy in Kadeem's side who's 6'10. He plays roughly 30% of the minutes. But other than that, nobody else is taller than 6'7. I mean, that's going to cause all sorts of matchup problems where you've got a guy that's 6'6", 6'7", trying to guard John Collins. You know, I don't, I don't think so on that front. But the problem is it's a, it's a road game. 
Uh, Wake has not been great away from from home this year, or for that matter, the last five or six years. Not that that really matters. Um, but Virginia Tech, I think, is 15 and one at home. Their only loss at home was back uh, in the middle of January to Notre Dame, and they lost only by five. Uh, they they blew Duke out at home. They uh, recently knocked off Miami and Clemson in rapid succession. That's two top 40 Ken Palm wins, and they beat Virginia in double overtime, who's uh, who's sixth in Ken Palm. So it'd be difficult to say we should go in there and win, but I think that Wake has just as good a shot to win this game as we really have in most other conference games this year, and it's kind of another toss-up. It could go either way, but what the big difference here is that if Wake wins this game, I'm with you. I think we're we're going dancing unless we get blown out by Boston College uh, if we play them in the ACC tournament. Yeah, and I, I I agree with that. I think the game, what last night provided for us was a chance to go on the road on Saturday, beat a team who was solidly in the tournament, get another marquee win. That will give us our, I believe, third uh, RPI top 50 win, uh, which would likely be enough to put us in there. It, it takes one of the strikes away against us, which would be an 8-10 and 10 under 500 conference record. Um I don't personally think that matters as much, but I'm sure there are people out there uh, and maybe on the committee that looks at conference record and says, hey, they're 8-10. and 10. Do we want to take them or do we want to take an Illinois State, a middle Tennessee State, if they fail to win the CUSA? Saturday's a really, really big game, and Virginia Tech leads the ACC in conference play in both three-point and two-point percentage uh, shooting on offense. They don't rebound the ball well offensively, and they don't force steals. Uh, they have a matchup problem with John Collins, like you said. I, I, I know they can probably try to negate that with Zach Lede, and he'll come in. Uh, he's one of their uh, seniors, but he doesn't start, but he's one of their leading scorers too. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do until they get him in there. So we'll see. I think Collins is going to have a big game. If, if the, I guess, second, third, fourth option for Wake can continue to step up, then I think Wake has a really good chance to win the game. Right now, I I would take Wake against a lot of teams, and I think they definitely have the talent to win this game. It's just depending on whether they can put it all together again and go and win on the road three days after a potentially program-changing win. So we'll see about that. Um, Now that we talked a little bit about Wake Forest, let's move it a bit to the big picture bracketology bubble watch wise and i uh, once again want to thank everybody for listening this is a live episode uh if you want to call in the number is 818-369-0317 i'll try to keep an eye out for uh for your call if it pops up there so or right, what is the, the the biggest the we got a few teams here on the bubble that we want to look at if we're looking at conferences on where we need to pull for specific teams in uh, the conference tournament, where would you want to start there? I know we touched on this a little last week, but uh, what tournaments can we look, watch for this weekend where we really have a rooting interest if we want to make the tournament? Yeah, I think that just like we mentioned last week, I think it starts with the MVC, which has uh, Wichita State and Illinois State in it. And I believe that that tournament's this weekend for any Wakefans. I think it actually might, what, it starts tonight with the uh, – Yeah, it starts MVP. tonight. Uh, got, and they got a couple games tomorrow before uh, – I think Wichita and Illinois State both get that weird double buy in a tiered stepladder tournament. But uh, So they'll play yeah. Saturday. Yeah, and I, and I actually think, as an aside, I think that's a fantastic way for these mid-majors with uh, decent teams at the top, you know, Wichita State or Illinois State, to uh, – it's a great format to help 
get those teams into the tournament. Because if you're in the Missouri Valley, Dayton, Illinois State to be a representative, and that segues nicely into what Wake Forest fans should want, and that is for Wichita State or Illinois State to be the Missouri Valley Conference champion. Um, both Wichita and Illinois State are on the bubble. I, to the extent Wichita State is actually on the bubble, is seems to be a point of debate among some bracketologists. Most people have them comfortably in. Uh, notably, Jerry Palm, who works, I believe, for CBS and is well-regarded in the bracketology area, does not have them in the tournament, but he's one of the only ones. They're 27-4 and four overall, and they're actually ranked 10th in Kim Palm, like we talked about last week. They are one of the best teams in the country, um, and Wake wants them to go ahead and win the NBC because Wichita State is probably going dancing anyway. And so let's avoid having uh, another team take away the automatic bid that you get for winning the conference. On the other hand, if Wichita does manage to get up to that, hopefully it's by Illinois State, who also went 17-1 in the conference, but has a slightly worse resume than Wichita State, um, as well as one more loss, and they sit at 25-5. and They're 44th in Kempom, and they are right on the bubble. They're right around Wake uh, as one of the last teams in the tournament period, even if they don't win the NBC. But I, we, we want Wichita State, bottom line, to win the Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah, and I agree with that, too. I think we're on the same page there. Illinois State is pretty squarely on the bubble. I think Wichita State's in regardless. I've seen a few different people say Illinois State's in regardless, but I don't buy into that narrative at all. I think if they lose to a team that's not Wichita State, uh, so if they lose on Saturday to whoever they play, I don't think they're going to make the tournament. I think if they lose to Wichita State on Sunday in the final, then they probably will make it. Um, it's a fine line when you play in a conference that like the Missouri Valley, that's kind of a mid-major, and they've had a good year with Loyola and then a couple of other teams stepping up. It's just there's a really fine line between making it a not. And we need to pull for Wichita State hard there and hope that Illinois State maybe gets upset so that they, they don't, quote-unquote, steal a bid. They're, they're kind of on the bubble too. Um, another big one in my mind uh, is, is the West Coast Conference, and this isn't as big a concern because Gonzaga and uh, St. Mary's probably have this on lockdown, <laughs> but both those teams are going uh, to the tournament anyway. Uh, do you have much to add, add to that? Just pull for St. Mary's and Gonzaga because one of them is probably going to win it. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it weren't – yeah, Gonzaga lost to BYU last week, but Gonzaga is still the top team in the nation on Kim Palm. St. Mary's is top 15. Those teams, and I think they still have a – actually, they may have gone to a quarterfinal format now since it's in digging. But, I mean, the chances of Gonzaga and St. Mary's, one of them winning the conference, I think it's like 88% on Kim Palm. So I'm not too worried, but, yes, pull for Gonzaga or St. Mary's. Yeah, I mean, the odds of a team beating both – Gonzaga and St. Mary's and back-to-back game is very, very slim, and I think oh, wow. Gonzaga oh, wow. will probably take that. So uh, that's not as big a deal. Another really big one, though, is uh, the Conference USA with Middle Tennessee State. Um, they appear to be squarely on the bubble as well. Some people, I guess, fall on different sides of that. I, I think if they don't make it, they probably will steal a bit. They'll be right on the bubble there uh, come selection Sunday. Um, what do you what do you think about the CUSA and Middle Tennessee State? Is that a problem that we have, or or do you think they're making it regardless? Or if they lose, are they out? What What do you think? I actually disagree with you a little bit. I think if they lose, they're out because any loss that Middle Tennessee State has, is, unless it's to Louisiana Tech, is going to be uh, lost to a 100 plus team by most metrics. 
So it, it kind of hurts them in that the rest of the conference is a little bit weak. It helps them in that, it, that it's easier to win the conference tournament, but it hurts in that if they don't, they suffer what would probably pop up as a bad loss. And with other teams around the bubble, you know, your Providences, your Californias, your Wake Forest, with opportunities to beat a and add a marquee win to your resume, or if Wake loses to Virginia, you know, on Wednesday or something, that's probably not going to hurt Wake too much. The Middle Tennessee State losing randomly to Western Kentucky, I mean, that's not going to be a good look. I think Middle Tennessee State needs to at least make the finals, and I think they might need to win it to, to go. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm kind of conflicted here because if you look at their losses, they have some awful losses. Middle Tennessee State does. They lost to UTEP, uh, a team that Wake beat by 22 on a neutral court, and I think they won like five or six games this year. Uh, they also lost to Georgia State and Tennessee State. They currently sit at 47th in Kempom, but I believe they're top 35 in RPI. So while a loss to well. Anybody that's not Louisiana Tech would probably knock them down a bit in RPI. They're going to have a decent RPI come selection Sunday. And they upset Michigan State last year, so I don't know how that plays into the committee's eyes. But worst case, they're probably going to be, you know, 28, 29, and 5 come selection Sunday. That that could be that could be a hard one to pass over. And I would just rather them go ahead and win it so we don't have to worry about it because it's a one-bid league uh, if Middle Tennessee State wins it. Uh, so – I, I think we should all be pretty big uh, Middle Tennessee State fans there. Uh, one other conference that uh, we, we have that we wanted to look at is the uh, the AAC. And, and I want to add another one right after this too. But but what are your thoughts on the AAC and uh, what they've got going on there with SMU and uh, who else is on the in, in the question there? Uh, so SMU leads the conference. They're 15-1 and one and 25-4 and four overall. SMU is in the tournament and so is Cincinnati. So the issue with the American Athletic Conference is that there are pretty good teams other than those two statistically. Houston sits at 20 and 8. There's UCF at 19 and 10. Uh, and then Memphis is at 18 and 11. Uh, Connecticut is lingering there. And, you know, none of these teams that I just mentioned other than SMU or Cincinnati are in the tournament for sure. Houston is right on the bubble, and the other three are off the bubble. But the problem is, if you're again, you're looking at how many bubble spots are available, if uh, somebody besides SMU or Cincy wins the conference tournament, that seals a bit and shrinks the bubble. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about a team like Connecticut or Memphis or maybe UCF um, making a run. I, I think Wake, again, wants that favorite to win. You know, that's a theme that is, will continue for the next couple of weeks. We want SMU or Cincinnati to, to win the conference, and we want the team that doesn't win the conference, you know, the Houston – I guess in this, just the AAC, Houston, who's right on the bubble, we want them to lose as early as possible. Um, and, but we don't, we don't want a team like Connecticut and Memphis making a run to the finals and upsetting SMU to make the tournament. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. And I think SMU and Cincy, are, they're locked. And then other than that, unless if a team wins it, I, I, maybe Houston making the finals could push them on the bubble if some other things fall their direction, their way. But I think that's a two-bid league. So you want to pull for SMU and Cincinnati. And one other one that I wanted to look at, the Atlantic 10, and this is interesting for a couple of reasons. So Dayton and VCU are both in the tournament pretty much hands down. That's not an issue there. The third-ranked team is Rhode Island, who is literally right on the bubble. I believe they are one ahead of us in the bracket matrix, or they might actually be in. Um, they're trending downward. Vanderbilt is trending downward after their loss. Um, 
And it's kind of interesting because Wake is in most of the brackets that have been updated today on Bracket Matrix. So we should be in the tournament, uh, according to the wisdom of the crowd, by either tomorrow morning or Saturday morning, just because more will have come in and accounted for our Louisville game. So right now, while we are not in there uh, by their standards, we are, I believe, probably eight eight, uh, ballots away from being in the tournament. So we should be there by the time we tip off on Saturday. Rhode Island is the last team in right now in the NCAA tournament. We don't want them to get any more wins at all. They've got one more game left before they go into the A-10 tournament, and it's against Davidson. They have a 77% chance to win. That's an easily uh, losable game there, too. So – I don't know. We need. We definitely want Dayton and BCU to win that tournament, but there's a lot of teams there that could actually contest, from Davidson to Richmond to Rhode Island. There are a lot of good teams there. What are your thoughts on the A-10? I think the A-10 is interesting, too, and I kind of want to take a second to talk about Rhode Island specifically. It was, uh, I think there was an article in Sports Illustrated, correct me if I'm wrong, and you know what I'm talking about. I think it was by uh, Pete Thamel or Thamel, however you say his name. Um, yeah. I was talking about mid-majors need more recognition and uh, had some quotes in there from Rhode Island's head coach, I believe. Uh, I think it was Rhode Island's head coach, Hurley. Um, yeah. That was talking about, you know, we've, we've gone out, we played a tough schedule. Um, you know, a lot of these teams that are from the ACC and the article mentioned Wake Forest specifically, not the article did, saying, like, who wants to watch those teams who didn't play anybody when Rhode Island challenged themselves in the non-conference season, and I want to point out that they did challenge themselves. However, they still did not play a more difficult schedule than Wake Forest played, specifically if you're a Wake fan. Um, so they're sitting at 20-9, and nine, but they're behind Wake and Ken Palm. They have, by my count, one win that's better than Wake's second best win. They beat Cincinnati, but that was back in November, and they've got some bad losses. They lost to Valparaiso, who was decent, but just lost Alec Peters. Um, that was early in the season, too. They lost to Fordham two weeks ago, and Fordham's almost 200th in the country, and that was at home in Rhode Island. Now they've rattled off some wins, but I I have a really difficult time watching Rhode Island play, and I've watched them a few times living up in the New England area. Wake is better than Rhode Island, and you can talk about resumes, you can talk about um, the Ken Palm, or you can talk about the eye test, but if you're looking at any of those three, I think Wake Forest is better than Rhode Island, and I'm going to defend that uh, for the next two weeks. If Wake doesn't get in and Rhode Island does, and we're both sitting roughly where we are now, I think Wake fans have every right to be upset about that because it seems that would just be letting in a team who won more games, even though they didn't play a difficult schedule, over a team who was more deserving and is better outright in, in Wake Forest. Now, what, do you have any thoughts on Rhode Island specifically, or is that is that yeah, kind I'm, of an odd thought? Yeah. I definitely agree overall, and I I think I agree in this case as well. I mean, their best win is against Cincinnati on a neutral court, which is a pretty good win. Um, They are 24th 24th in Palm. That's probably about the same weight as the Wake win against Louisville last night. Wake's probably a little bit better when you adjust even for home court. They also beat VCU on their home court, who's 46. But, I mean – that's it. They, they've lost to Valpo, Providence, Houston. LaSalle and Fordham were awful losses. They're way worse than any loss Wake Forest has. I mean, if it comes down between those two, Rhode Island's the last one in and we're the first one out, I've got a pretty serious problem with that. Um, so I think we overall we want to pull for BCU and Dayton. Uh, I just think that that's going to have a lot. There are a lot of teams there that could cause some havoc, and I'm a little concerned about that. Um, Kind of flipping the gears a little bit here, just looking at individual teams, and we, we've started doing that already. Um, 
tonight is there's really only one bubble game tonight, and it's at 11 o'clock on I believe ESPNU, uh, where California goes to play at Utah. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about California, who is currently an 11th, the final 11th seed in the bracket matrix. Is tonight a must-win for them, or or do they have some room for uh, do they have some room to fall and still make the tournament? What do you think? You know, California is also kind of an interesting case. They're they're quote unquote comfortably in if you look at all the brackets. But they're a team that I think also kind of suffered a little bit from a team like Wake getting a marquee win over Louisville. Um, in recent bracket updates, I think they're in roughly the same number of uh, brackets as Wake. I think that if they lose tonight, they are would currently be on the outside looking in. And Ken Palm says that uh, Utah is favored by three, 69-66. And, again, it's a Wake-centric podcast. Wake fans should be pulling for Utah to hold serve and win this game. You can argue it would put Utah back on the bubble, but Utah's got a bad resume, and I don't think that they're going to get in. They have a weak non-conference They lost to Oregon have... State, who is like 5-24. and 24. Yeah, that, and they also played, and this is a, a kind of off-topic and maybe a waste of time, but they played, They started their season by playing two Division two teams, and it frustrates me to no end, Georgia Tech listeners, if you're out there for playing Tusculum or whatever the name of that school was two weeks ago, um, it, it, it irritates me to no end when teams play Division two teams. There are 351 teams in Division one college basketball. You only have to play 30 games, and you only have to schedule what? In the Pac-12, 12, 12, non, yeah, 12 non-conference games. Go find 12 Division one teams to play. There are awful teams out there, and you're playing Division two teams? That, that irritates me to no end. And they, shouldn't, they shouldn't count, period. They shouldn't count as wins. They shouldn't count as anything. So for that alone, I'm coming out hard against Utah. But back to Cal, they if they win today, they're still in the tournament, I think. Uh, the Pac-12 is weak in general. Nobody has a great resume out there. And I actually think their best three teams uh, that uh, some seem to believe are going to make runs to the Final Four, Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA, all have fatal flaws. Um, I think UCLA's defense is just comically bad. They're basically Wake Forest with a slightly better defense, although it's been trending up, um, and, a, and a slightly better offense. Uh, and then Arizona and Oregon, I think, are sitting in the 15 to 25 range in Kempom, where they'll likely end up overseeded by the committee because they're in the Pac-12. Um, but they, these teams have played six or seven games in conference against teams that are worse than Boston College and the ACC. So they're, the, the committee sees that they are playing in the time conference, and to some extent it is. It's not terrible. It's not in the MEAC, no offense to the MEAC fans, um, but it's also just not good. So it, it's a great time to live and play in the Pac-12. I wish Wake were in the Pac-12 this year because I think we'd be cleaning up out there. Yeah, and I agree with that as well. So to kind of book in that, we want Utah to win. I think Utah's too far back. To, they're not on any uh, bracket at all out of the people that do the bracket matrix. They'll pop up on a few if they do win tonight, but I think – Bumping California down is way more important than being worried about Utah sneaking in, especially given what Wade did uh, last night and the fact that we can probably hold them off regardless. Um, California ends their season at Colorado, which is also a 50-50 game. There's, they'll probably win one of those two games, but if they lose both of those, they're probably done. Um, so it would be interesting to think about a John Collins-Ivan-Rab matchup in, in Dayton if we both got out there. Um, and so that's kind of fun to think about. But I think if I were had to buy or sell California, I would probably sell them right now um, just in a vacuum of their own game. They've got two road games. They need to win one of them, and they need to go far in the Pac-12 tournament. But they're probably going to get a five seed or a four seed, so they're going to play the one yeah. seed in the – 
their second round, so that's not going to help either. It'll give them one more chance for a really quality win, but once again, they, they end yeah. the season with two road games, so that's not great. Yeah, and I, I um, think California is kind of a poor man's Wake Forest. They don't have – they've played an odd schedule kind of like Wake did um, prior to Wake beating Louisville last night as a marquee win. Cal doesn't have a top 50 win uh, based on Kempom. They've only played by my count – six top 50 teams, and they've lost to all of them. I mean, if Wake wasn't in prior to the Louisville win, why in the world would California be in the tournament just because they beat up on teams ranked 200th in Ken Pond? It, it, it doesn't make sense to me, and I, I, don't, I don't think California is that good either. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's kind of interesting because they're, they're really good on defense. They're ninth in defense, 140th on offense, so that's basically a complete reversal of Wake Forest. Um so, California, they're in now. I think they'll probably trend out. We'll see how it shapes up. Um, moving on to a team we're probably all a little more familiar with is the Syracuse Orange. So, they uh, obviously got a big win last week against uh, Duke on that banked in three by uh, John Gillen. But they are also pretty squarely on the bubble now. They're 17-13, and 9-8 and eight in the ACC. They host Georgia Tech on Saturday. Um, which is a pretty big game, 73% chance to win. If they do that, they get to 18 and 13, 10 and 8. I, I think if they beat Tech, they're, they're good to go here as long as they don't lose the first round of the ACC tournament. Uh, what do you think about Syracuse if they, uh, if they manage to hold serve against Georgia Tech at home? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. I think if they go one and one in their next two games, um, especially if they win, like you said, against Georgia Tech at home, which they're projected to do, they're six-point favorites it looks like. Um, probably in. They're sort of an interesting case in that they have a couple of good things going for them. One, they have some good marquee wins. They beat Virginia. They beat Duke. Um, they beat Florida State. They beat Wake. They beat Miami. Those are all top uh, 35 teams in Ken Palm. They, uh, the downside is, which turns out to be an upside for them, is that their losses, which are pretty bad, are to Boston College, St. John's, Georgetown, and Connecticut. But those are teams that people hear and they say, well, those aren't bad losses. If the committee doesn't really dive in on the numbers and doesn't really dive in and look at the fact that Connecticut is 14 and 15 overall, the St. John's has really struggled this year, then Syracuse might not get knocked quite as if they had played and lost to a team that's near Connecticut or St. John's and Ken Pond or the RPI, a team like Princeton, a team like College Charleston that doesn't have that same uh, kind of like old school brand name. Uh, I think that their Syracuse suffered some bad losses, but they were a, a good quote unquote name school, which I think is only going to help them. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think I think Cuse is probably safely in with the win. They'll get a buy uh, win on Saturday against Georgia Tech. They'll get a buy on Tuesday, and uh, where where are they projected? Where are they most likely going to fall in the eight or nine seed, or what? Where do you think they're going to finish up? It depends. If I recall correctly, they're going to end up in the eight or in that eight nine game. Um, that's the okay. most likely scenario. They can still drop to eleven if they uh, lose to Georgia Tech, and if Wake beats Virginia Tech, they become the eleven seed. And I think they could be in trouble if they lose to Georgia Tech. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, I mean, assuming they beat Tech, you know, they'll do that in theory three out of four times when they do it, uh, when they play. I think they're in good shape because if you get the 8-9 game, you're, you're, you've are you're avoided any more bad losses unless you lose by like 30 to Virginia or whoever winds up getting the uh, reverse the 8 or 9. Then you play the one seed, presumably Carolina. You really just have a chance for games at that point, and you're not going to lose too much. So if I had to buy or sell, I would probably buy Syracuse. They also have the yep. fact that they went from 23 and 14 last year. Uh, 
they went 19 and 12, nine and nine, and then they made the final four after losing their final two regular season games and the first round of the ACC tournament. So if there's any doubt as to whether or not a Jim Beheim coach team can do it, then clearly they can because they did it last year. So that will probably work in their favor as well, if I had to guess. Um, the next two teams that we have to look at are Illinois State and Wichita State. We, we basically talked about both those teams. Um, I think Illinois State probably needs to win the NBC or lose to Wichita State in the finals, and they're good. Any loss before then is going to be disastrous. Um, Wichita State, I think they're in regardless, unless they just get blown out in the first round and look dumb doing it. So uh, I think we both agree on that. Uh, pull hard against Illinois State. Pull for Wichita State. The next big team here, um, as we kind of come down the – uh, home stretch. I believe we got about eight uh, minutes and 30 seconds left by times, right? Um, we've got Providence, who is obviously one of their assistants is uh, Jeff Battle, former Wake Forest coach, but uh, Ed Cooley's got the Friars playing some really good basketball, and they're, they're still right on the bubble. I believe they are still one of the bottom. No, they've moved out, so they're the sixth team in, uh, according to bracket matrix, but they have a game at St. John's that they are a slight underdog. If they lose that, despite winning five in a row, uh, what do you think about Providence? I mean, if they if they lose that game, they're, they're going to drop down. They're going to be on the bubble again, especially given how jumbled the Big East is right there from the three to the seven seeds. Yeah, you know, it's always dependent on what other teams do around the bubble. You know, that's the big caveat on all these discussions. You know, Providence could lose out, but if everybody else loses, they don't lose ground. Um, I think if they, I think they need one more win to feel safe. I think they're they're probably in. I don't know who they would be matched up with in the Big East. I think they've got kind of a log jam in the middle of the conference, and I don't know those tiebreakers. Um, if they lose to St. John's and fall to nine and nine, they'd be nineteen and twelve overall in the nine and nine and Big East play. Um, I think they would want a win to be comfortable in the first round or whoever, whenever they play in the Big East. But I, I think that they are. They're probably in. It's tough. I think they're they're a tough kid. If they lose twice, they're squarely on the bubble. Yeah, and I, I tried to look through some of their um, because so the teams they're tied with are also kind of on the bubble. Marquette, I believe, is in there. Marquette, Seton Hall. Uh, if if they win one game, if they beat St. John's. I think they're going to be fine. But I think they also hold the tiebreaker over Marquette. They beat them twice. Um, so if they beat St. John's, I believe they are the four seed. So then they probably either play one of Xavier, Seton Hall, or uh, I guess Creighton again. And before and the winner would play uh, Villanova. So they're probably in good shape. If they lose two, I think they might drop out. But odds are Providence is going to be squarely in and should be successful uh, moving forward. There, they took care of business the last. They've won five in a row against Butler, Xavier, Creighton, Marquette, and DePaul. That'll get the job done when it matters. So. Um, Providence probably doesn't matter. Still want to pull against them. Um, Xavier is a very, very interesting case here. Uh, they lost Edward Sumner. They won their first three games after he went out, but now they've lost five in a row. So they're kind of the bizarro Providence. Um, they've got one game left against DePaul. It, it, they're a favorite there, but that's probably inflated because they don't have their point guard. If they lose to DePaul, they could easily be out of the tournament when they were squarely in uh, two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I, I agree. And Xavier is an interesting case, and it'll be something that will, uh, be, I'm sure, be talked about by the committee one way or the other. 
um, and, and it changes from year to year. But Xavier's overall resume had would have them in the tournament. I don't think there's too much of a question about that. And I also don't think there's much of a question that they would not be on a six-game losing streak if Sumner weren't hurt. But on the flip side of that, Sumner's not coming back. So if, if they lose this game to DePaul and they're at 19 and 13 entering the Big East, um, or 19 and 12 entering the Big East tournament, I and lose again. I don't know. I, I don't think I'd put them in because right now they're not they're not playing very well and they're not likely to play too well moving forward. I mean, I've watched several of their games recently. I caught most of that Butler game. Um, I caught the uh, Marquette game a couple weeks ago, and at times they're not they're not even competitive. Um, so I think Sumner's a massive loss, and I think that they're a fascinating case as to what the committee is looking at. Are you a tournament team right now, or are you a tournament team based on your entire body of work, even if you don't have one of your key players? Yeah, and I agree with that. That's a good overarching question, too. I think if they the, – the easy thing would say for the committee is if they lose to DePaul and lose their first round in the Big East, then you just you just take them out. I mean, they're not going to yep. beat anybody that lost eight in a row. The, the interesting thing and the most likely thing is that they beat DePaul and then they lose the first round matchup to the, I guess, four, five, or three seed or wherever they wind up playing, one of those teams. Uh, I mean <laughs> – what do you do then when you have one win, you beat the team you're supposed to, but you're still not, you're 19 and 13 overall. I don't, I don't think I would take them then either, but that makes the committee's job really hard. Um, so while they're a 10 seed, they're at the top of the 10 seed in the bracket matrix. There's a lot that, that they could to look at beyond just, Oh, Xavier, here's what they've done. You know, it's really, Oh, they're Xavier, but they don't have son or he's not coming back. So do you reward them for what they've done? Or do you just go to the next team and say, well, sorry, it sucks but you're not the same team left. Uh, that's a good question, and they kind of change from year to year. Um, Rhode Island, we talked a little bit about them. Um, I think we're about to uh, run out of time here. So most of the other teams around us, any team we've talked about tonight, you want to pull against for the most part. We're just speculating on, you know, if they win this, lose that, how that that works out. But let, let's kind of end this wrapping up with uh, – with Wake Forest, what does Wake Forest need to do to guarantee that they get into the tournament? Um, I know it's hard to say one way or the other without the bubble, but if we beat Virginia Tech, are we in? If we lose to Virginia Tech, but we beat BC, and then we lose the next game, what? where are we, and what does Wake need to do to feel safe come Selection Sunday? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of caveats attached, like you said. I think Wake needs one more win to, to be maybe the most bubblicious team of all time. Um, I think if Wake wins two more games, they have at least uh, they have at least two games left. If we win two games, I think Wake is in the tournament. Period. I think we beat Virginia Tech. I think if we then get the ten seed and beat Boston College, I, I think we're it's gravy. I think anything after that is maybe trying to get us out of the uh, out of the first four in Dayton. I think we win one more game. I think we're nervous. I think we lose. We don't. We fail to win any more games. I we're going to the NIT. The the Louisville game was great, but we need to validate that with one more. And we need a chance to uh, to win two more, I think, to guarantee a bid and uh, take it out of the committee's hands on Selection Sunday. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Zero wins, we're going to the NIT probably as a one seed. We get one win, it just depends on what's going on around us and who it's against. So, I mean, beating Virginia Tech on – I think if we beat Virginia Tech and then lost to BC, I think we'd actually be in. I think that would be a better thing than beating losing to Virginia Tech and then beating BC – Maybe the RPI is a little bit different there. It kind of matters where we get our win, where we get our loss. Um, 
anything beyond that, if we get two wins, then we're in. I don't think you can turn down our team at 19 win. We would have gotten our fourth and maybe fifth 50 uh, RPI win in, on the season. And despite playing a ton, we still got them, and that, that, that matters. Um, so, yeah, I think winning two gets us in. One's on the bubble, zero. Nah, see you later. We'll be hosting games. I, based on what I've seen, though, I love the, what we're doing, how we're coming together here. Um, want to thank everybody for uh, listening and, you know, all the hits that we've gotten. It's been a fantastic day at uh, Blogger So Dear from a hit standpoint from a lot of Wake fans, fans a, lot of, uh, a lot of other fan bases, too. We had one of our better days ever on uh, BSD, and a lot of that is uh, thanks to our readership and our uh, viewership and all that good stuff. Um, got about 10 seconds. Uh, you want to plug anything, Bart? Yeah, I want to plug John Collins, ACC Player of the Year. I think he's the vote, and I think that he's the best player, period, in the conference. Yep, I agree with that. And we will have an article coming out uh, probably tomorrow on John Collins and stating his case for Player of the Year. I think it's down to probably he, Luke Kennard of Duke, and maybe Justin Jackson. Bonzi Colson of Notre Dame, maybe Donovan Mitchell of uh, Louisville. But I think it's mainly those three. Um, just to plug, you can find me on Twitter uh, at BSD underscore R.A. Johnston. Um, other than that, we appreciate you listening. And as always, go Deeks. Go Deeks.